Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Support for this episode comes from Kuat Racks. Kuat makes industry-changing products, including kayak, bike, and truck bed racks for the Ozark Outdoorsman, manufactured with the utmost care to quality, style, and longevity. With their lifetime, no worries, limited warranty, they stand behind their products like no other company. Most importantly, Kuat gives back to the community and makes positive impacts on the environment by partnering with grassroots groups. Through their Future Forest Initiative, they plant one tree for conservation with each rack sold. Kuat is based in Springfield, Missouri, and proudly supports all things Ozarks, including this show. Visit kuat.com for more information. I thought I was coming to the experts in the outdoor industry, who okay. I was, yeah, but that were going to tell me what I needed to do. Okay. And I literally got into Meat Eater, and they were like, what are you going to do, Clay? I mean, that was literally <laughs> what it was like. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought y'all were going to tell me <laughs> what on. to do. I remember listening to a Malcolm Gladwell podcast. Yeah. I remember thinking somebody ought to do a podcast like that for hunting. Like yeah. A documentary-style podcast that's really well-produced and thought out and written and insightful. And somebody other than me should do that. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Ozark Podcast. Today on part two, we're going to go a little bit more in depth and talk about how Clay and the Meat Eater team came up with the idea for the Bear Grease podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy. Check it out. How did Bear Grease come to fruition? And, and were, was that like an instant idea? Like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know the scope. I know what the end goal is. Or did that kind of evolve over time? Yeah, it definitely evolved rather quickly, but it was not something that I wanted to do. Years ago, when I started a podcast, it was just a business decision inside of Bear Hunting Magazine to just have an outlet. I didn't, it wasn't something I was passionate about. I just, we just started a, a, a podcast. Yeah. And for us, it did pretty good. I didn't really think much about it other than I just enjoyed talking to people and, and trying to hash out. You know, a lot of it was like tactical bear stuff. And so I enjoyed talking about those things. And uh, so it was kind of a surprise to me when they said they wanted me to do a podcast. I was like, really? It, it really was. It was kind of a surprise. And uh, they, they, they hired me without really any talk of what that was going to be. It was okay. just like, come work for us and we will we'll get it figured out. Yeah. And so back in my Bear Hunting Magazine podcast days, I remember listening to a Malcolm Gladwell podcast. Yeah. And you listen to this revisionist history. All the time. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. It it used to be. When it first came out, it was like it was really good. It was and great. Insightful and a lot of really great production. And I remember thinking somebody ought to do a podcast like that for hunting. Like yeah. a documentary style podcast that's really well produced and thought out and written and 
and insightful. And it, it was like, somebody other than me should do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not joking. Like, I, I thought, man, somebody ought to do that. That would be, that would be so good. But I, I, it wasn't me. So we had a, we had a meeting eventually shortly after I worked there with the whole meteor team about, you know, Clay's podcast. What's it going to be? I had almost named the bear hunting magazine podcast, the bear grease podcast. Oh, okay. But just, just, I like the name. You, I, you kind I, of been I, sitting on that name. I had in the vault. I'd been there. sitting there, man, because I'm telling you, we discovered bear grease again in American culture 10 years ago. I mean, it, it may sound arrogant to say that, but it's kind of the truth. Like people weren't talking about bear grease. People didn't, it's just like, I'm not saying some people didn't do it uh, because they did, right. but it was not being talked about in media. Yeah. Nowhere. Man, I read, I was reading these old historical stories about bear grease and the and, and, and market hunting and the commodities that, of bear grease and this guy out in White Cloud, New Mexico that uh, used bear grease to forecast the weather and all the folklore around bear grease and Gerstocker, this guy here in Arkansas that uh, hunted bears in the 1830s. He had, his dog's name was Bear Grease. And, uh, Great dog name. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's just like, Bear Grease is pretty cool. Yeah. And I started rendering Bear Grease, and making it, and using it, and cooking with it, and trying stuff with it. And, and, uh, and, and I just always thought it was so cool. And uh, and so I, I had this name. I just thought it was a cool name, Bear yeah, Grease. It and, is. Uh, it is a cool name. And <clears throat> so when the the idea came up for a podcast, I was like, "Well, we call it Bear Grease." Here we go. But but Steve was the one who said, uh, "Hey, I think you should do like a like an interview style." He said, "Like an NPR style, like Terry Gross interview." He he, he just had like this little. And I, I got, I mean, I got to give credit to him. He, he had just a very general, he was just like, I want to like hear what you think about stuff. Mm. I want you to interview people and then tell us what you think. That was pretty much all I had. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well, I'll think about that. I mean, I don't really know how we're going to do that. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. uh, so the onus was kind of on you. He kind of had a, yeah, an when inkling I, of an idea, when but it I, was like you got to figure this out. Well, when I came there, I thought I was coming to the to the experts in the outdoor industry, who okay. I was. Yeah, but that were going to tell me what I needed to do. Okay, yeah, I, I really thought they're going to be like Clay. We like what you're doing. You're an amateur. This is what you need to do. Yeah, here's your, this here's is your ten you, step process. We're going to success. We're going to oh, fix you. It yeah. never a hundred percent. Like I was just like. Yeah, these people are going to tell me what I need to do and give me what I need. And I literally got into Meat Eater and they were like, what are you going to do, Clay? I mean, it, that was literally what it was like. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought y'all were going to tell me what to do. And uh, that ended up being the greatest thing they could have ever done. That they're really good at giving people freedom to, to follow their passion. Mm -hmm. And what Steve told me is he said, he said, he said, the number one thing, Clay, that you need to do is you need to talk about stuff you're passionate about. Hmm. He said, don't, don't worry about what you think people want to hear. Talk about what you, you are excited about. And, you know, pretty quickly I formulated 
the the general idea of what Bear Grease was. Yeah. I said, man, I, I guess I could interview people and have voiceovers. And we did, we did, they said, we'll make some mock episodes. Right. So the first guy that I went to was my old buddy, James Lawrence, down in the Washtals. And I wanted to tell his story of the Shedhorn Buck of 1962. He was 10 years old. He killed this big buck. He was a little kid. His his dad was off hunting, and he stayed home and kind of learned how to hunt deer. Uh, it, it, was, it was a wild story. And he found sheds of this buck for three years when he was a little kid in the 1950s in Arkansas. He found three years of matching sheds. One year the sheds were 170. I got them up there. He gave them to me. Um, I went to James, and I, I had him tell me this story. Yeah. And while we were there, I was like, James, are you? Tell me about your history of living here. And we went to the graveyard where his grandparents were buried. Mm. And I remember pulling out my recorder and kind of feeling weird and just being like, hey, tell me about them. Talk to talk to me. We're standing over the grave of his grandparents. Mm. And he's and he's just like telling me about how, you know, they came into this valley when they came and what this guy did. And and it was like really special. And then I I went home, started putting it together, and sent it back to the meat eater folks, and they put it together. And it would be interesting to hear that podcast because we all listened to it and went, "Huh, that was okay." <laughs> it, it, it. I thought you were going to tell me that this was like boom. Well, we got it. it. It took a lot of work. I had all the raw materials. I had this incredible story. I had kind of James in the field. I had uh, what else was on that first episode? There were there was a couple other little aspects that were on it that were kind of different, you know, kind of documentary style, like driving down the road in a car and music and and we. I listened to it and I was just like, I don't know if that's good or not. I mean, it's okay. Yeah, and so I had some ideas that seemed radical at the time, but kind of to, to, to be more aggressive on the storytelling aspect of it. My, from my voiceover, like to so really have some more influence with like to story. really say what I thought. Like I, I yeah. went back into the voiceover and I described what James Lawrence looked like. Mm. I said, you know, James used to be a smoker and his, 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 uh, he's got a beer, a, just, a the manliest big beard you've ever seen and his face is wrinkled. He used to be a smoker and he, he got, I mean, just, I, I don't remember all the details, but I kind of like painted this picture of what James looked like. And at the time it was kind of out there to me. Yeah. And, but then when we put it all back together, it was like, Oh, there's something, there's something here. Yeah. And then basically when it all came together for real was the third mock episode that I did was the myth of the Southern mountain lion. And on that one, I went and interviewed a psychologist. I interviewed multiple people that said they saw panthers. Mm -hmm. I interviewed Myron Means, large carnivore uh, biologist. Right. And basically, at the time, it was wild to think that I could interview a psychologist about cognitive bias and, and naive <laughs> yeah. realism. Just like, why do people think they've seen a mountain lion? Right. And, it ended, and, and we put it together, and that one popped. I mean, it was like funny. It was, and I was in shock because I had done all these interviews and none of them were, I mean, they're just were kind of 
okay. Yeah, there's conversations. But when you put them together and cherry picked out the good parts and you 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 put in the VO and you did you you put in the music and it was like holy cow, this is gonna work. Yeah. And then and then it just it just kind of compounded from there. And so we we took that one though it was the third episode that we made, we put it first. And I remember when we put it first, me and my boss thought it was risky because we thought that was the best podcast we were ever going to make. I actually thought... (laughs) Number three. I thought, I will never have another story that good. Yeah. That's what we thought. You're like, I don't want to come out and set the bar too high. Oh. Because we'll never match it again. I knew that it was going to be like... Because that's what everybody... Not everybody does, but you know that's what happens in life is like somebody comes out swinging hard and you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then it kind of like tapers off. Yeah. uh, Revisionist history. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad well. So... But but we were just like, man, if we're gonna come out, we better come out swinging. Yeah. And so we put that one out first, and it it just got a lot of a lot of hype and a lot of press, and and then we just kept telling stories, and you know, here I am, two and a half years into it, which really isn't that long, but um, oh man, it's been a, I feel like I've got I, I've I've been afforded the ability to get a. A PhD and and whatever it is I study. I mean, we we started doing these historical characters like Daniel Boone and Hulk Collier and Davy Crockett and and Lewis Wetzel and um, Folsom Points and Warner Glenn and and just all the Roadshow Taxidermy was one of my favorites. Yeah, Asa Carter the the the, the Asa Carter story in educational literature. I mean. There is no shortage of incredible stories mm-hmm. out there. Yeah, and and uh, it's been like highly developmental for me to 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 study these things, and then and then now, man, it's like when good stuff starts happening, it it, it compounds on itself. Like we're now, when I approach a subject, I'm I'm looking for like the best person in the country to talk to. Yeah, you know. Well, I just listened to your your Davy Crockett series and. To hear, I mean, you're talking with the foremost experts on the subject, and even down to the the minuscule details of how he died and why it matters, and the, yeah. the records and diaries and everything. It's like, in what world, and like, would a normal person have access to those types of people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really pretty incredible that, and and it's. You know, I mean, it's because I do it for a living and I take it serious and I'm able, uh, I have the the freedom to go and, I mean, and and I do 99% of my interviews in person. Mm. Like, I'm I'm flying to Greenville, Tennessee. Well, flying to Knoxville, then to Greenville next week to go meet a guy, talk to him. And, I mean, I, I I travel a lot. Yeah. I'll travel across the country to talk to a guy face-to-face. That's uh, the right and, way to do it. It is. And, it's important. It's the best way to do it. Yeah, we did some virtual for a bit and got away from it pretty quickly. Yeah, just just hard to have that that one on one connection and yeah. get what you're wanting out of it. Yeah, like yeah. you may get the words, but you're you're not going to get the same feel. Yeah. There's something something yeah. important about being in person. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things to know about hunting turkeys in the Ozarks, but there's two things I know for sure. One, it's that turkeys have really good eyesight, so your camo matters. Canis makes an incredible turkey camo. It is comfortable, it is breathable, blends into the background like no other. It is the perfect camouflage for those long sits 
back up against a white oak tree, hearing those hens and gobblers hold up 200 yards away as I'm just waiting for them to come in. The second thing you gotta know is you have to be prepared for anything. Whether it's a tom sneaking up behind you or a rainstorm coming at you out of nowhere, Canis has you covered. From the Nunavut rain jacket to the chamois fleece hoodie to the alpine pant with built-in knee pads, make sure you have Canis on you for this upcoming turkey season. Use our discount code OZARK for 15% off website or in-store, and good luck this turkey season. Sadly, hunting season in the Ozarks has come to an end. But in these hills and hollers, it's always been the off-season where woodsmen dialed in their equipment to get ready for the next hunt. And there is no better time to dial in your shot grouping with some new gear from Umarex. Our friends over at Umarex produce some of the most accurate air-powered rifles in the world, with everything from 22 caliber guns for squirrels and rabbits, 30 calibers for coyotes, bobcats, and coons, all the way up to 50 caliber air rifles that can take down white-tailed deer, feral hogs, and bear. Umarex leads the industry in accuracy and innovation, making some of the best hunting air guns on the market, hands down. Head on over to umarexusa.com and use our discount code Ozark Air for 12% off your entire order and start getting dialed in for your next hunt. So with that, I'm kind of, I'm curious, this will be a two-part question. I'll just give you the first one. How do you come up with the inspiration for a, a subject, a topic? Like w- when you're thinking about, okay, what am I going to do next? Where does it come from on, yeah, I want to go down this rabbit hole and, and spend five episodes doing a series on it, or I'm just going to do one here. Like, how do you come up with the ideas for for a new episode? Man, it's just, it's just like creativity in any other area of life. It's like, why did you want to paint that painting or, or learn that song? I mean, it, it, it just all goes back to genuine interest. Like I, 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 people will suggest stuff to me all the time, like every day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, I believe that. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't, it, it's okay. Um, and people will have a good idea, but I'm just like, I, I, I don't know. I'm just not that interested in that. <laughs> yeah. But then, in in a, in some of these topics, some of these things that I have done big podcasts on, yeah, were suggested to me. I mean, it's not like I just think of it all on my own. Yeah. But I mean, it's like I think I think in storytelling, you've got to just have a natural instinct for what works for your style of storytelling and just how passionate you are about the thing. And, and some, some of the roadblocks like this week, I, I read half a book and just put it down. And I was just like, it's not, it's not it. Mm. I thought it was, you're, you're going down that road. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had guests lined up. Like I didn't schedule with them. Like I didn't have to cancel with them, but yeah. we had this whole thing specked out. I had done everything, but really the research, we just thought it was going to be so, Big, me yeah. and uh, Isaac Neal, my buddy that helps me. And uh, I got to reading the book, and I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> not going to work. Yeah. It just, did, it, just, it just didn't do it for me. I couldn't get excited, put it down. And uh, maybe I'll go back to it. But, uh, but just instinct, man. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I want to tell the world the stories that I'd be excited to tell my kids. That makes sense. I want to tell my kids about... Daniel Boone and Hulk Collier and taxidermy and gas stations and uh, that was a fun one. 
yeah. Oh, there's so much. You know, we've. It, it, I, I'm grateful to the to the to the space. Like the the the. I, I didn't think people cared about this stuff. To be honest with you, like I, I remember the when I first did my Daniel Boone series. It was the first historical series that I'd ever done, and I remember almost being apologetic to people, thinking that it was like too just too too much information too when, much like history class yeah too much like history yeah and uh and and i remember i actually said it you can go back and listen to it where i said hey guys this is a little different you're gonna have to put your thinking caps on for this one and, <laughs> yeah. and really listen up we're gonna learn some stuff and you know kind of joking about it was gonna be like and and that boon series is probably the the most the most talked about podcast that that we've done yeah and it, it kind of set a template for us for how to take these historical stories and 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 tell a story and uh and oh, not been, make it just feel like a history class yeah 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 so it's been so That's much great. fun it, it's it's so much fun it really is i think what what is interesting is because i would probably like if you had just pitched that to me on the front end without hearing it i'd have been like i mean yeah but it's like I think history class. I'm like, I have heard of him. You know, I, I know some stuff. I don't know how I know the stuff, but I know something from somewhere. Um, but I like, like you do it in a way to where it makes it interesting to where it's like, I didn't know that I cared about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that this was cool until I heard these stories and you get into some of the, the nitty gritty details and you're like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah. It's all over, man. We're We're such products of our, of our culture, some of it we don't even know or understand. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why stories really matter. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. shaped by your story you tell yourself and the stories of the world around you, and yeah, all of it. It's it's important. Yeah, yeah. So so knowing your scope and and knowing like this is what we do on Bear Grease. I think part of knowing like what you do is also knowing like what you won't do, like what you won't touch and topics you won't go down. I'm curious, like where do you draw the line in the outdoor world of, you know. Like, for example, for us, we talk hunting and fishing, but, like, okay, mountain biking in the Ozarks is growing and it's ever, you know, it's becoming more and more popular. But, like, for us, that that's kind of where we draw the line is, like, we want to cover things that are, like, wild things and wild places and natural resources. For you, do you kind of have a line drawn in the outdoor world of, like, I will and won't cover this and this is kind of how I think about things? Yeah, probably, but it's hard to put a... It's hard for me to define that because there's a lot of podcasts we do that really don't have a lot to do with hunting yeah but they've they've all got to do with rural america um you know for instance this we did this series on asa carter and the connection to hunting was that this author wrote a book called the education of little tree which the education of little tree was a fictional book that was thought to be autobiographical about a cherokee indian boy raised in the mountains of southern appalachia and in in the book they fox hunted with hounds they turkey hunted. They did some outdoor stuff. Yeah. That was our entry point. We talked about that. We talked about how this author wrote in such in these incredible ways and described nature and just and but then the whole podcast wasn't about that. The whole podcast was about this guy, Asa Carter, and, mm -hmm. and how he kind of defrauded mm -hmm. the world. And it was about human nature. It was about racism. It was about you know, kind of jumped, got into some of the deep politics of the South mm -hmm. with George Wallace and like wild stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I think that 
I think the way that that, that there's there's a bigger philosophy too, and I we know we've been talking a long time. So I mean, I could talk. All no, night. keep going, man. We got time. Divulged <laughs> into whatever you want to divulge. Into. Well, uh, really, what what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about hunting. I'm passionate about squirrel hunting and coon hunting and deer hunting and bear hunting and all this stuff. But really, what I'm passionate about is a is a is a preservation of a way of life. Mm. Like I I want my grandchildren, my great grandchildren, should the earth persist, my great 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 grandchildren, to be able to have wild places and live a life like I have, mm-hmm. to have access to that. And that is something that's not, I mean, it's easy to say that. Like, you, you might hear someone say that and you just repeat it. Yeah. Man, I, I, that is what, I mean, I, I, I really want that. I feel like the modern culture here in North America is, is leaving us in the dust in a way. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of good things that are happening in the outdoor industry that we're on an mm-hmm. upward trend towards becoming relevant inside of society. I think by telling these stories that we are making ourselves relevant because mm. people are, are listening to, I would hope people could listen to Bear Grease and, and some episodes more than others, but they might be like not have a thing to do with hunting. Mm. And they might listen to an episode and, and learn something about human nature, learn something about natural systems, learn something about their history that they don't even acknowledge in their connection to to, through through history of through the to the natural world, learn about American identity. I mean, so much of the original idea of being American had to do with interaction with wild places. I mean, yeah. Europe had castles and, and and architecture and art and music. When those guys came over here, we had wilderness. You know, our first our first art. We didn't have anything to paint. We didn't have the Sistine. We didn't have the Eiffel Tower to paint or whatever. You know, we painted wilderness and we yeah. cherished that. And that was, you know, Boone being an American archetype for, for identity, rugged individualism, and, and some of these things that could be taken to an extreme and are not healthy. But at their at their core, there's some there's some meat on the bone of 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 things that are that are healthy and fruitful that are deep inside of. American identity, and I think I think that as hunters become more relevant in society, kind of like what Rennell is doing with saying, "Hey, this food, and we're connected to this, and and there's relevance inside of who we are, that we are making a space for ourselves culturally." Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that that's what I that's my message to the world at large is leave a space for the American backwoodsman. You can have these people, these people, these people, these people that you create space for. Like these are Americans. There is a slot and a pretty big one of American backwoodsmen that have every right to be here and have a way of life preserved. Mm-hmm. We're like a people group. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I see it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you could you could debate of whether that would be even okay to say. I I I I think it's like a we're like a people group. I mean, it's it's just deep inside of who we are. Um, in in the way this country was formed, and it's just so. My goal is that people might listen to a bear grease, and they would go, "Who are these people?" Yeah, and they go, "Those are the hunters," you know. I mean, just like they did with Daniel Boone, you know, 
when Boone walked into the legislature in his buckskins and <laughs> and and spoke with wisdom and reason. And they're like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, this is a American backwoodsman. Yeah. Do you think that do you think that um our our culture as far away from that as we've gotten is bound to or capable of of reverting back to a basic connection to the outdoors or do you think that it will just continue and continue on until we've lost most of that connection well i mean i I think there's cultural moves in all societies that impact impact people and and are significant and i think we're we are in the middle of one right now that's significant but also there's all these other huge moves that are 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 not helpful towards us so I mean, you know, not everybody in America has to have some deep connection to the natural world. That's not what I'm saying. Not everybody has to be a hunter or like deer meat or want to kill a bear. But just we need to be we need to be the caretakers of the wild places that we have. That should be our role is that the hunters are the ones that are the caretakers of wild places and wild animals. Mm. It's worked. It's worked for the last 120 years. Mm We learned a lot. We're the ones who brought back the big game species onto this continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the most successful uh, animal husbandry practices and philosophy of any civilization that's ever lived through the North American model of wildlife conservation, which really is really new. I mean, you know, we think about it, it was formed in really, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, and, and now we're kind of living in the fruit of it. I mean, a hundred year span in human history is like nothing. So we're just at the very beginning of that, mm-hmm. but you know, you guys know all the all the stuff. But it's it's really pretty incredible and, and beneficial to society what we offer. Yeah, and uh, you know where where a wild animal has cultural value through hunting, that animal will be protected and its land will be protected. And today, the one of the most valuable commodities that our society has that is is in short supply. Is wild places, yeah, and 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 you know, it would be foolish to say that all our public lands and even private lands that are undeveloped are there because of hunting. That that wouldn't be true, but it wouldn't be far from the truth. I mean, like the people that are interacting with public lands and the private lands in this country, which you know most of the the country is private land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I mean. The guys that aren't selling their land and building subdivisions, a lot of them have added value to that land through recreational hunting. Right. And it's like that is the model that will save wild places is make things valuable to people. And we we make it valuable by by having cultural value, by not I mean, there's got there's gotta come a point when people wake up and they don't want to just instinctively go and develop a track of land and make a bunch of money. I mean it's wild to think that yeah. because, but I mean, I don't think that way. I mean, like we have, we have pillaged this place mm-hmm. and that there will come a time when wild places will have so much value because it's all, and I'm talking about private land. I mean, even around here, it's like there, there's land right around here for sale that people would love to do nothing more than to put in subdivisions. And it's like, I mean, it, it's hard to argue with the with the dollar, but right. but 
there'll come a time when when wildness has incredible value, and it does. It does today in a lot of places. Yeah. I mean, recreational hunting land is very much in demand, and and I think we have to just continue to continue to promote that. And mm-hmm. there's problems with it. I mean, there's problems with you know people not being able to afford private land and you know you hear all this banter about ah you know hunting's becoming the elite we're becoming like europe um i don't know i'd I'd rather i'd rather have it than than not have it i mean well i think too that i mean you mentioned it earlier and even talking about bear hunting magazine and the first start of the dial-up internet and then all like all of it we're so so new and early into the North American model for conservation. We're even newer into just the technology boom of, I mean, the last decade and a half or so. Yeah. That I think, and I, I mean, I see this a lot in, in what I what I do for a living. Um, I think there's a movement that I mean, we're really just getting into of a lot of young people realizing I don't want to be connected to everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. by the the push of my thumb and I'm like immediately accessible and I also don't want my attention to be sold for profit <laughs> by the megacorps yeah. of tech and all of that and like yeah. man I want to like can we take 10 steps back and can kind of reassess I actually yeah. think hunting and fishing at some level uh for that type of person spiritual awakening may be too bit too much of a of an idea but it can be a reversal back mm-hmm. into like no this is how man was created to be mm-hmm. and it's it's actually it's, I don't know, it's kind of a way to, like, win back their life a little bit and, mm-hmm. and recognize, yeah, like, like, no, that. I can, it's this good. is this is important, and now I care about it, and I matter. I mean, we talk to people all the time. We're always learning. That's our favorite part about what we get to do. But remember Austin Booth talking about the waterfowl yeah. being the, the ones that had cultural value and hunter value, so they're the ones that have thrived when all these other songbirds are getting lost, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. you, you take that, that's one element, that's one bird um a few birds and you start applying that to everything that we still have that's able to be conserved and celebrated and all of that and you yeah you're gonna have a a really beautiful country filled filled with beautiful places and beautiful wildlife and honestly happier and healthier people Mm -hmm. um but if the whole if i mean if all america's concrete i don't want to i don't want to be here anymore and yeah it doesn't sound very funny yeah that i don't know it's my long form thought on (laughs) i liked what you're getting at and i it's just fun to think about. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who, who listen, who hunt and fish can relate to that. And, and I think that even too, here, hearing you talk about, you kind of were going, you kind of already answered a question I was going to ask next, which is what is your end goal? Like, what are you working towards that, um, that is the reason why you, you do the podcast is the reason why you maybe started bear hunting magazine is the reason why you kind of, what drives you. And so to hear that you kind of, you've already, you, you've already, figure that out in your mind and that's like kind of something that underlays everything that you do it, it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and you know on a on a day-to-day basis it's not like i wake up and and you know that, that's kind of the big big picture stuff sure you know? yeah but uh no i i i just try to take it try to take it day by day i don't really have any goals i mean like if you actually ask me about like career goals yeah like i i'm oh, i would I'm, never ask you that question i don't like that question good a lot good. of the times because people ask me and i'm like i don't know i'm making a podcast it's fun yeah, yeah 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 i've got one more for you clay 
and then we'll let Kyle wrap it up because he likes he likes having a good good ending question. <laughs> this one, this one's bringing it home back to what we always talk about. But man, what is it about the Ozarks? Maybe it's a two parter. But what is it about the Ozarks that, in your mind, makes it special? And then, if you don't mind, if you have a story that goes with it, what's your maybe your favorite Ozark experience or memory? Mm. You know. I think I primarily love the Ozarks because it's where I'm from. I mean, you know, having a connection to place is powerful. And, and I really grew up in the Washtaws, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna lump them in as Arkansas Highlands. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's a, a, a different range of mountains, but we'll culturally it. identical. Sure. You know. And you're here now. Yeah, lived here lived here for 20 years plus, I guess. Um, no, I, I've just been fascinated with the Ozarks, the, the, the folk culture of the Ozarks, you know, Arkansas was, um, I heard, I've, I've heard it said that the Ozarks were culturally and geographically isolated for a long time. And, uh, it, that could be disputed. I've heard Brooks Blevins dispute that a little bit, kind of as a, as the most true statement in the world, but in general, it really it really was. There mm. wasn't any reason to be here. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, up and through the 1960s and 70s, I mean, the place was not much different than it was in 1870. I mean, you know, they had cars. Yeah. Some mm. of them had electricity. But, I mean, just unique people. Uh, the natural beauty of those arcs is uh, – is incredible. It's not the big mountains like you'd see out west. Uh, one of the guys I read, one of the guys from Newton County, he said that the the Ozarks are intimate. He said if you're if you're in the Rocky Mountains, you might see a big peak, snow covered peak, and and you'll never set foot on that top uh, of that yeah. peak. Yeah. But if you see a peak in the Ozarks, you can probably be there within a couple hours. And it and uh, so no, I've just always. Always loved the 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 highlands of Arkansas. I was raised here, and um, oh man, I've got all the Brooks Blevins books. Have y'all read all the Brooks Blevins I've, books? I've started them. My brother got me those uh, for Christmas last year. I'm a very slow reader, <laughs> but man, I, I have. You gotta have them. Brooks Blevins is my hero, man. You gotta have him on the podcast. We've like, we've talked no about doubt. it. He's on our list. He's he is. There's very there, there's not. He he is the undisputed king of Ozark history. Yeah, and he is a nerd. Yeah, we've got to have him on. Oh, I love the guy. He was here just last week. He's a good friend of mine. Man, we could have comboed a, a podcast meetup. <laughs> he's a he's he's he's. Uh, I I really like him. He loves. He's written I think fifteen books on the Ozarks. Yeah, just really hyper specialized. You know. Right. Yeah, I've got uh, the. I've started the first one when he's talking about all the way back from the beginning of how it's geologically different than like the Washita's yeah and how it was formed and how it would actually be more appropriate to call the Ozarks the Ozark Mountains the Ozark Valleys because it's it's formed yeah, over time eroded. erosion and, and it's not these peaks and you look across it even and you see like a landscape photo looking across the Ozarks a lot of the peaks are about the same yeah it was a height it was a raised plateau yeah yeah um oh the Ozark you should start this podcast off every week by talking about Ozark orogeny, mountain forming. Mountain orogeny. forming. That's okay. what it's called. Ma- orogeny okay. means mountain formation processes. Um, this is a uh, well. 
that title doesn't even make sense. That book right there is a, like a <laughs> deep book about mountain orogeny. Every 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 geologic feature has like this wild history of how it happened, you mm. know. But the Ozarks were wild, and the Washtals were even more wild. Yeah, don't get me started. It's too late. <laughs> Favorite topic: All right. the late implantation, the orogeny of the Washtal and Ozarks. That's a good word. I'm gonna have to add that. I'm not gonna try to say it publicly <laughs> to the mic yeah. like either. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I gotta practice that in my head when it's written down for yeah. a bit, and then feel good <laughs> speaking it. All right, I've got one more question for you. We'll, we, do we get the story? Uh, man, I shoot. I, that's a, that's a, like favorite Ozark story. Oh, yeah. uh, I probably uh, uh, searching for Erskine's grave out in the Ozark Mountains. That was a really unique. I was reading this book right here, Wild Sports, mm -hmm. um, written by a German named Gerstocker. A guy, Kim Smith. Kim Smith, he's a man. His name's Kim Smith. He's the one who did the bear research in Arkansas. He told oh, me. He's coming back from <laughs> coming all the yeah, way back. Yeah, yeah. Got it. <laughs> he, he, he told me when I, when I was in college, I actually went and visited him, and I was like, hey, I'm reading these books that you wrote. And he said, hey, you ought to read this book, Wild Sports. It's about some crazy German came to Arkansas. That's all he said. It, and it was years before I read it. Mm -hmm. I finally read it. And that book is probably my all-time favorite book. Um, and it, it, it talks about this guy who came to the Ozarks. He, he came within about probably 10 miles of where we're sitting. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He came, he came all the way up to the headwaters of the white, West Fork of the White River. Yeah. Where you could, where you could cross without getting your feet wet you know the white river mm -hmm. um but uh there's a story in there about they how to make a movie about it and when they do like i should get credit for it okay <laughs> there's a couple of things i'm, in it. I'm really i'm really play it like not afraid to be bold on it's that i killed a bear in arkansas what was the other thing nobody was talking about hounds and bait uh yeah or bear grease bear grease, bear grease. lots of stuff and boogie, this one boogie board, board. bear well I, i'm not arrogant i'm, I'm not i'm <laughs> okay. not worried about i just that. like saying it if i'm being honest yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm okay if somebody else did that first <laughs> um no but but there's a story of a guy getting killed by a bear down here in the in in the ozark this is an early episode right or yeah 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 it's called death of a bear hunter because I, I, I remember four. the gershocker am i saying that correct gershocker gershocker Remember that name? Oh, incredible! And the 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 way that I found where it's believed that he was buried was a really unique story, because uh, uh, it involved meeting an old man named Ori Province, who was in his nineties, and and who had found what he believed to be the grave, and and nobody knew where it was, only him. And uh, and he told he told me and another guy where it was, and we swore to never tell anybody, and and I won't, I, I can't tell you where it's at. Sorry. Did you, did you go see it? Yeah, we did, and it, and 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 it's not really certain that it's there. Like they thought it was there, mm -hmm. and I'm a skeptic. You know, my mm -hmm. buddy Renella says, uh, skepticism is the chastity of the intellect. Well, skepticism is the chastity of the intellect. And and so I'm always a little skeptical. Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's like, just because this guy says it's here, you know, is it really here? Sure. Right, yeah. That was my favorite. That's, oh, that's, that's, that's so good. Go listen to Death of the Bear Hunter, episode four of Bear Grease. So it was early. 
Yeah, way early. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I think okay. it was so That's four. great. Heck yeah. <laughs> what's your What's yours there, Kyle? Well, it's it's totally a side note, but it was something that we talked about. I think would be a good question. We're so we're two young men who have families. Um, a daughter. Each of us have a daughter. How do you balance everything that you do with being a good husband, being a good father? You know, raising your children in the way that you want to bring them up. How do yeah. how do you balance all of your career and your outdoor pursuits and traveling all over the the country and the world with being here at home and, and with your family? Yeah, it's that is a hyper relevant question to anybody. You know, if I was if I was an insurance agent or if I worked at a grocery store or if I did anything, you could ask me the same question. Sure. And 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 I I view my life in in big big swaths. I believe there's an architecture to life. Like this building has an architecture. It's got a foundation. It's got walls. It's got a roof. And if if the architecture is right inside of your life, you can do a whole bunch of stuff and build a whole bunch of stuff that will last. If the architecture is wrong, you will squander your life building stuff that doesn't work very well from family to business to career to just like personal satisfaction. And um, the the... The number one thing for me inside of balancing my career is viewing it for what it really is, which is really a pretty small part of my life. It's mm. what people would see. It's an external thing sure. that people would see. They would think that all I think about is hunting. All I think about is these stories. All I think about is 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 this thing that they see. But really, the, the overarching thing that I give most credibility to is, you know, you guys— I, I know you guys are believers would be my relationship with God, mm-hmm. my commitment to my church, my commitment to my wife, my commitment to my children. I mean, these things, they supersede everything. Mm-hmm. And those are things I don't make media about. I don't, yeah. I don't, uh, <laughs> rarely, honestly, rarely do I talk about it. I'm opening it up to you guys about it. Um, and if that is genuine, it's easy to say that. Sure. It's very easy to say that. And, and, and it's okay to, Say something that you want to be true that maybe's not. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, decl- you gotta want to grab for it, mm-hmm. and it's very much been a process that I have not perfected yet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, um, you know, being a man is an interesting. It, we're in an interesting position because we do have to provide for our families. We have to, we we have to be aggressive to to go out and 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 fight for, you know, our 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 world. And and so that takes, you know, I want to provide financially for my family, so I got to go fight and build a career and work hard and think about stuff and stay up late and wake up early and do all this stuff. But that's this like lower level stuff. The big picture is, and it's and it's all about internal architecture. It's it's hard to describe. You mm. might see my life and be like, Clay, you spent eight hours today in this office doing this stuff and only two hours with your family. Mm-hmm. Well, it, 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 it doesn't, it, it's not always rational either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think it's just like having your priorities straight. I mean, that, that would be a good way to say it, but, uh, I really like internal architecture. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hold on to that. Yep. And, yep. And thinking about, you're saying like, basically when you say this stuff is lower level, like podcasting and, and hunting and all the stuff that's lower level. Are you saying that, like, remember what you do all of that for, which is your family? It just means that it, it, if it all went away, 
it would be, it would, sure, it'd be difficult. It would be like something I'd be sad about. Sure. But it is not, it will go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, I'm, I would be pretty confident saying I'm not going to work for Meat Eater till the day I die, unless I die prematurely, which is possible. <laughs> uh, anything's possible. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably not going to be 75 and still doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I don't know what I'll be doing. But Killing bears on a boogie board. Yeah, 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 yeah. People won't remember Clay Newcomb, the bear hunter. Mm-hmm. My The generations of my offspring will remember the character of Clay Newcomb. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's all. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and so that's that's what I focus on, I, and, I, and I do. I I focus a lot on internal character, and uh, you know, you've got to you've got to you've got to be the same when nobody's looking as you are when they're looking. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's hard to do. It's, and I and I don't say that I always do that, but that's my declared intent in my life. Yeah. Well, Clay, we appreciate your time, and uh, I know we've stayed long, and and we really appreciate you inviting us to your place. You here. sure have, Kyle. Sorry, man. We'll get out of your hair. Loved hanging out with you. He didn't give you a. You didn't give him an ending time, though, right? I told him we'd be uh, no outline, <laughs> no ending time. Here at eight, really... Didn't give him an outline. He <laughs> no. said, "Talk to me, whatever you want to talk to me about." So we did. Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, to our listeners, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a buddy. And if you really liked it, leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you on the next one. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, we love making this show and being able to offer this podcast to y'all for free. But if you're listening and you want to support the Ozark Podcast to allow us to travel even further and meet more interesting people, head over to our Patreon and sign up to join our most loyal listeners. Let me tell you, these folks are 100% certified Ozarkans. And of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com. 